We are on episode five of our Halloween mini-sode series with Daniel. This one is going to be the most gruesome, the most gory. So again, uh, if you have kids listening, skip this episode. If you are queasy or, you know, don't like true crime type stories, uh, this one is also one to skip and you can just find us again, on our regularly regularly scheduled PG-rated episodes that we will still be doing. Um, but if you want to hear a gruesome tale that happened in Ogden, Utah, a very, uh, it's a well-known, what? Notorious. Notorious, thank you. A notorious, notorious murder that happened. Um, that's the, that's where we're, that's where we're headed. It is dark. It is scary. It will give you nightmares. I guess if that's what you want for Halloween, that's what you should do. But Daniel. Hi, everyone. <laughs> so nice to be here again. Um, yeah. So this is an episode that I like, I think a, a week after Jordan started doing Utah Famous, I was like, you got to do an episode on the hi-fi murders. I and said, she was no, like, no, I'm not doing and it. And literally like once a month, I've been like, you still got to do an episode of the hi-fi murders. And she's like, no. And then finally, like, she's got worn down and here we are. The yeah, I, murders. I, I'm I'm gonna try to edit him. He's gonna try to edit himself to not go too into it, but it's kind of the story is kind of all about what happened to the victims. I mean, they all are, but anyway. Um Sarah it's the, it's the brutality of this crime that makes it so horrible and so memorable. Right. And if you just take out like if we want to distill it all the way down. It's a it's a robbery turned hostage situation um, where a hand where uh, three people died and two were impacted for the rest of their life. So there we go. Um, if we want to just end it right there, uh, that's what happened. Um, Sarah is not doing this episode with us uh, again. It's a little too much for her. It's too much for me. But Daniel has already told me the story one time as we were driving through Ogden, Utah. History is uh, not a pretty, it's not a pretty thing a lot of times, <laughs> but it doesn't mean you can just bury your head in the sand. <laughs> That's what I, I'd like to do. I, I listened to true crime well, just making, or my favorite murder, which I talk about a lot. Um, but I do skip the episode sometimes if it gets too much. I mostly just like to hear kind of the beginning background story. And then once it gets into the actual crime, I, I'm done. I didn't get that luxury when Daniel was telling me the story in the car when we were in Ogden. I was stuck. I was trapped. And, well, and I, I am here I am again. And here you are again, trapped, stuck <laughs> in this podcast, in your marriage. I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, I just want to say I first heard about this story in seventh grade. And our seventh grade science teacher told us this story. What a And it jerk. was horrible. And I you just like I just start crying. No, I was weird, so I was like super intrigued by it, but like it kind of like stomach churning too, though. Like, yeah, Ugh. um, what a terrible teacher. Yeah, but yet not. No, just kidding. He was pretty bad. Um, all right. So the Hi-Fi Shop, um, it is located or was located at two three two three Washington Boulevard in Ogden. Um, and for those of you who haven't heard of Ogden, never been there, um. 
it is kind of notorious as like I think it started as like kind of a place where some outlaws were just kind of like known as like a little bit of a rougher place, but like, it's kind of a dumb stereotype at this point. Cause it's like not, really... it's like stayed that stereotype for a while. Yeah. Like people will make like Ogden jokes and they think it's funny, but it's just kind of, at this point it's kind of dumb. <laughs> like right. I just feel like it's, it's like, that was like probably anytime... in the early 1900s. Yeah. But even still, anytime crime happens, you know, there's a couple pockets along the Wasatch Front where usually they happen. Yeah. And still, I think crime ends up happening in Ogden. But Ogden is also really large. And so... And it also might be um, confirmation bias too, right? Yeah, true. Once, you, once it kind of has that reputation. However, it's a beautiful town and we definitely don't want to <laughs> don't want to make anyone feel bad. But it is it has a weird reputation, and maybe it's all from this, and we just don't remember. Well, I've actually thought I've heard other people say this, but like when people, there's a lot of people moving to Utah right now, right? right. It's like more people are moving to Utah than it's like per capita the number of residents that we have that were not here five years ago or something. Like some statistic is right. like greater than any percentage increase anywhere else in the country. Really, you know even it? when all the pioneers and all their wives and children were coming over, I'm not sure if they were keeping the. <laughs> The numbers at that point. But my point is, um, I've heard people say, like, people are like, I, I, I want to move to Utah. I love the outdoors, like, lower cost of living. Where should I move? And I've actually heard more and more people say, like, the Ogden area is actually, like, bang for your buck. Yeah. You can still have access to Powder Mountain. And you can have access to, like, all of the you know the outdoors that's not as busy and chaotic yeah as the salt lake so kind of a small yeah town some really cool architecture in downtown ogden right anyway so this is that's our, our but maybe because this happened before we were born 74 maybe this um it probably story fueled is it. part of that too i mean of course totally. it fueled it but i did that stereotype stereotype exist before anyway i think it, i think first? that the stereotype started in like the late 1800s like i okay. think it is something that has and persisted added to it but um anyway so no this location is not still there uh we attempted to drive by it remember mm-hmm. and it's now like a bank or bank something or right? something yeah something stupid <laughs> um april 22nd 1974 uh, so this is a hi-fi shop uh, you know, home stereo equipment. What is a hi-fi shop? Not, we don't all know this. Home no, that's stereo. what I'm saying. They sell home stereo equipment. That's it? Like big speakers. You used and to have, have a shop for that. Turntables and yeah, it's Best Buy basically. Okay. Oh, this is like, um, this is like, uh, don't that say that thing you do. That thing you do. No. No? That was an appliance shop that oh, okay. happened to sell records <laughs> okay. and record players and radios, but they also sold washing machines. So. That's true. This is a more specialized version of the shop on that thing you do. We'll call it, we'll say it. Actually, nice little downtown area similar to Erie PA in Yeah, London. totally. Okay, let's get to the details. I know you're trying oh, to I'm stall. delaying. I'm delaying. I know you're stalling. Okay. Um, okay, so uh, there are two employees in the store at the time, Stanley Walker, 20, and Michelle Ansley, 18. Um, so they're working at the store. It's just about to close on on April 22nd. And uh, there are six men that uh, arrive in two vans. And they show up 
And there are three of them that actually enter the hi-fi shop. Uh, the three, the names of the three are Dale Selby Pierre, William Andrews, and Keith Roberts. So those are kind of the, the three main ones out of the, the police believe that there was up to six of all involved. Um, but only three were ever but yeah, caught or. Yeah. And okay. actually Roberts was, was one of the ones that stayed in the vehicle, but somehow he ended up being, you know, tied to it while one of the other pe- people that, in, one of the other men that originally entered somehow just escaped undetected. Okay. Ultimately it was Pierre and Andrews that were like the two uh, criminals that led to everything that happened. Um, so there are two employees, Stanley Walker and Michelle Ansley, 20 and 18, and they were both taken hostage by Pierre and Andrews. And uh, they took them into the store's basement and tied them up. And then they began robbing the store with the rest of the gang. And that's why people think that there was up to six, or the, the police think there was up to six people involved because of like, they went in there to like rob it of the stereo equipment. Um, and they, like the amount I think that was taken, they're like, it couldn't have just been two. It couldn't have been three. Like there had to have been more. Right. Okay. That's one of the reasons. Um, so anyway, they begin robbing the store later, uh, a 16 year old boy named Courtney, uh, Nesbitt, I think, uh, he arrives at the hi-fi shop to thank, uh, one of the employees, Stanley Walker, for letting him park his car in the store's parking lot. And he's mm. like, hey, I just want to say thanks for letting me uh, park my car over there. He's taken hostage, tied up. Now he's put in the basement alongside the first two. So now there's three. Later that evening, Orrin Walker, who's Stanley Walker, he's the 20-year-old employee. It's uh, his father. He's 43. He becomes worried because the store should be closed at that point, And his son has not returned home. So he goes to the store to look for him and um, also Courtney Nesbitt's mother, the kid that parked the car, she also becomes worried uh, and she shows up later that evening. Um, so both the father of the employee and the mother of the kid that parked the car, now they are both taken up, taken hostage, also oh. tied up, put in the basement. Oh my gosh. So wait, how many is that now? <clears throat> So we're now Four, up to five. five. Okay. So this is when it gets bad. There Ugh. are now five people in the basement. The gang has robbed the store of stereo equipment. Um, and uh, at this point, Pierre tells Andrews, uh, go get something from the van. Andrews comes back with a bottle and a brown paper bag. And he pulls out a container of Drano drain cleaner. <sighs> I can't. And then uh, he tells the the father of the, the one employee, he says, here, make everyone else drink this Drano. And he says, no. So they tie that guy up, leave him, and then they make the hostages drink the Drano. They told him it was vodka laced with sleeping pills, and they would help them like get through it. But they made him drink the Drano, uh, which immediately causes blisters, on the lips, tongues, throats. Okay, okay. I'm not going to go into full details. Yeah, let's just, okay, we got it. Next. Mm, Next. Yeah, I'll skip that part, skip that part. 
you get you, you get the gist. This is not great, right? Um, so the one thing the uh, Walker, the dad, was the la- you know he was the one that they were like get everyone to drink this, and he's like no. They tied him up, threw him down, worked on the other ones, and then finally returned to him and like now you have to drink this. And he had watched this happen to the other four. Yeah. And so he he was somehow able to like get it to spill out and didn't drink it, but then faked the reactions that he had seen from the other four. Oh. And so they thought that he had actually consumed it, but he Smart. hadn't. Okay. Um so now at this point, Pierre, he becomes angry because he thought that immediately they would die and they didn't die. And it was just taking too long and they were being too loud and the whole thing was just too messy. So <sighs> he shoots Carol and Courtney Nesbitt uh, in the back of their heads. Carol's dead. Somehow Courtney is not. Pierre shoots at Walker, misses, and finally he shoots Stanley before again shooting Orin, anyway, grazing the back. It's just a mess, right? Mm-hmm. You don't need to like tally up and connect all of the dots here, but shoots another one in the back of the head. There's some other details going into that that we'll kind of skip because we don't want to get in, we don't want to get into that. Nope. <laughs> I'm really making Daniel edit this whole thing down. It's for all of our own goods. So uh, Orin, the the father, right? Right. Forty six years old. So at this point, they're like, hey. He's still alive because remember he like faked the Drano. Right. And so they try to strangle him and they fail. So then they, uh, they basically, they put a ballpoint pen in his ear and stomp on his head. So the ballpoint pen goes into his ear, goes into his head, exits its throat. And then they're like, he's dead. They leave, finish loading equipment in their van, take off. They think now at this point they've killed all five of them, right? Mm-hmm. They've actually only killed three of them, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. Freaking amazing. Yeah. yeah. So three out of the five were murdered. Um, even basically all of them were forced in some way to drink the Drano and then shot. But in some way, you know, two of them survived. Um, so um, so to go through kind of the, like what the final kind of outcome was so uh sherry ansley uh was 18 she was one of the employees that we mentioned at the beginning she had only started her job a week before oh my gosh and she had recently come engaged and uh was planning to be married uh later that year and so she was dead uh byron courtney nesbitt um was the student at ogden high school and he's the one that was initially like went there to just say, "Hey, thanks for letting me park the car there." Mm. Um, and he actually survived. He was one of the one of the two that survived, but he suffered from amnesia after the incident and was never able to testify at trial because he just like the whole thing. He just completely gone in his mind, which is probably kind of nice if tr- if true, right? Yeah. Yeah, to, like that would be actually be like a, Absolutely. Ni- a nice coping mechanism. Right. Um, he was a student at Ogden High School and he actually was able to return to school about a year after the incident. He graduated, um, but he had brain damage 
uh, because he was they were sh- he was the one that was shot, but it didn't kill him. Um, so he, uh, you know, eventually just kind of had a, a rough life because of that brain right, damage right. later. Um, but uh, he he did uh, end up getting married. He had some some chronic pain throughout the rest of his life, but I mean, he he ended up dying at the age of forty four, which is young. Yeah, but I guess a bright side, right? Like, <sighs> yeah, I guess. Um, Carol Nesbitt, the the mother of uh, Byron Courtney Nesbitt that we just talked about, um, she died uh, later at the hospital from gunshot wounds. Yeah, so Orrin Walker, he was the father um, that came in to check on his son. And the one that faked the Drano, he was also the one that had the the ballpoint pen right, stomp right, through his right, right. ear. Uh, he actually survived, and Amazing. he was coherent enough to testify at the trial. Wow! And he's basically the reason why we know any of this. Wow! Because his full right. account is, you know, right kind of what we're looking at. Um, and he died in the year 2000 at the age of 69. Wow. And then his son, Stanley Walker, um, was shot. So he was one of the third, uh, victim. Um, so, uh, the bodies were discovered about three hours later when Oren's wife and other son came to look for them. Uh, the son heard noises coming from the basement and broke down the back door. The, his wife called the police, um, and they went down there, and I can't. Can you? Oh, what a no, horrible scene no, no. to stumble onto. Um, so hours after the the news of the crime came to light, an anonymous Air Force employee called the Ogden police and told him that Andrews had confided to him months earlier. One of these days, I'm going to rob that hi-fi shop, and if anyone gets in the way, I'm going to kill them. <sighs> So he had, it was like pre- premeditated. Yep. Absolutely. Um, hours later, there were two teenage boys who were dumpster diving near near Hill Air Force Base, uh, where Pierre and Andrews were stationed. They were mm. both stationed in the military, mm. and they found uh, the wallets of the victims that had been dumped in a dumpster by Hill Air Force Base. Okay. Uh, so the detective. Responded to the scene. This is kind of an interesting, like, this could be an episode of TV, kind of. So the detective comes to the scene, and there's a crowd of people at this point, and the detective's smart enough to think the killers might be in this crowd of people. So he puts on this kind of big show. He speaks dramatically and waves each piece of evidence in the air with tongs as he removes them from the dumpster and, like, makes a big show of it to kind of, like, in in kind of... uh, you know, inject some fear into them if they are present. Right. Um, and later he notes that most of the service personnel who were gathered around the dumpster were just standing and watching in silence with the exception of two men later identified as Pierre and Andrews <laughs> who paced around the crowd speaking loudly and making frantic gestures. Oh my gosh. So his, so his insight was completely spot on wow and the detective later received an award from the utah branch of uh the justice department for Mm. using that kind of proactive strategy yeah um so anyway based on those reactions uh and kind of other suspicion uh andrews pierre and roberts were arrested a search warrant um 
was issued for their barracks, and police in their barracks found flyers for the hi-fi shop and a rental contract for a unit at a public storage facility. They got another search warrant, and uh, they went to the storage facility, and they found all the stereo equipment Mm. from the hi-fi shop, and they also found a half-empty bottle of Drano. And at this point, Pierre and Andrews are charged with first-degree murder, aggravated robbery. Roberts, who we mentioned, he uh, was charged with armed robbery because he waited outside and he he was not involved in anything that happened in the basement. The trial of Pierre, Andrews, and Roberts for first-degree murder and robbery began in 1974 in Farmington, Utah. Nice. At the courthouse. Uh, Pierre and Andrews were convicted of all charges. And during the trial... It was revealed that Pierre and Andrews had robbed the store with the intention of killing anyone they came across. And in the months prior to the robbery, they were looking for a way to commit the murders quietly and cleanly. The two then repeatedly watched the film Magnum Force, in which a prostitute played by Margaret Avery is forced to drink Drano and is immediately shown to drop dead. And so they thought, oh, let's just do that. Oh, my gosh. Real uh, valedictorians here. Jeez. Uh, and that's when they decided, that's a genius. That's what we'll do. So Dale Selby Pierre, uh, one of the two that were convicted of the first degree murder, um, when as in prison, well, when he was in prison, he changed his name 27 times to protect his family from notoriety. Mm. Um, and finally settled on Pierre Dale Selby, which is just the same name. <laughs> Remixed. Wow, genius. Pierre was executed by lethal injection in August 28th, 1987 at the age of 34. Um, So, you know, there was a good 13 years or whatever. Mm. Um, And at the time of his death, he left all of his remaining money to Andrews. It was $29. (sighs) Yeah, so uh, William Andrews was 19 years old at the time of the crime during the trial, it was revealed that, he, like I said, he and, and Pierre had the intention to kill anyone that they came across. He was convicted of, uh, of three counts of first-degree murder. And his uh, his conviction, he was sentenced to death, and which was a little bit controversial because he actually did not kill any of the victims, or at least that's what he claimed. And it seems like it was co- mm-hmm. corroborated by... Um, he didn't have the gun. Right, right. But he was involved in the whole Drano thing. Mm. Um, anyway, so that, there was like a little controversy in the media around like if he deserved it, planned. which yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You'd be the judge. Um, I am. And he is. Um, Wait, was he executed? And yes, he was okay. executed by lethal injection in 1992 mm. at the age of 37. So wow. he was on death row for 18 years, almost half of his life. Wow. Um, and then Roberts, as we talked about, uh, he didn't know about the murders. He was convicted, sentenced to five years to life, paroled after 13 years, um, died of natural causes in 92. Mm. Seems pretty young, actually. Anyway, we just, just to bring everything full circle here, uh, Pierre and Andrews became notoriously hated prisoners at Utah State Prison, and they were reviled on death row. And in 1977, convicted murderer Gary Gilmore, who is also facing capital punish, reported to have said, I'll see you in hell, Pierre and Andrews, as he passed their cells on the way to being executed by fire. Oh, my gosh. No. Isn't that crazy? Gary. 
Now that there's that's one there, there's two reports of what he said. One okay. is, and I like this the one I said. Yeah, I'll see you in hell, Pierre and Andrews. Yeah, but the Deseret News reported that he actually said, "Adios, Pierre and Andrews. I'll be seeing you directly." <laughs> Either way, they're both pretty good. Yeah. Oh, no, Isn't that's that crazy. crazy. The, How it yeah, connects. The, the, yeah, the time overlapped, and they yeah, that's amazing. Um, well, wow. That story is horrific. It's rough. It's really rough. It's the roughest. Um, I will say one one thing that's an interesting side note. Uh, I, it seems like this is still the case. FBI, uh, people being trained for the FBI in Quantico, Virginia, they're okay. taught this case as an example case. Wow. And it kind of ha- it's a, it, like kind of a sample case in in the FBI's crime crime classification manual. Like it's so unique and oh, that's wild. horrendous that it's used for training FBI agents now. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, just horrible, but you survived. I survived my stomach hurts. Well. <laughs> Thank you. That's a that was a great ending to our mini sode Halloween scare your pants off episode just got worse and worse it just it really did and thanks everyone for listening if you stuck around for this one maybe one or two of you listened but yeah hope everyone has a happy halloween i predict that these will be the most popular episodes in the history of this podcast (laughs) (laughs) we will see skinwalker ranch is still in the top three i think um awesome well thanks daniel we will maybe consider you being on the podcast again after this one thanks sarah might disagree well i'm going back to utah thank you for listening to this episode of utah famous to see all our episodes and what we're up to follow us on instagram at utah famous we'd love to hear from our listeners so don't be shy email us at utahfamous at gmail.com And if you have some spare time, please rate and review our podcast so other Utah enthusiasts can find us. And don't forget to subscribe so you can get our latest episodes right when they come out.